0: blog talk radio i was waiting for my my the announcement to come on i'm sitting i'm standing here to our off the shelf listeners just waiting for a second because i know i before i've at time started the show and then i hear blog talk radio <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for it to uh to come on i want to welcome all of our listeners here at, at blog talk radios off the shelf for this saturday the first the first Saturday in December 2013, December the 7th, and I want to thank you for joining us here this morning. It is an absolute joy to have you here with us today, and I also want to honor uh, the work and the memory of Nelson Mandela, who went home recently, and i just so grateful that we got to have him and the work that he did and what he, he helped to do in South Africa, just as the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., the great work he did here in the United States, and Gandhi and the great work he did in India. So grateful and appreciative to these people who just keep moving forward on our behalf of people they may never know, but yet we will be the beneficiaries of their work. So just really, really honor him. And for those of you, it's your, if it's your first time coming over to Off the Shelf uh, uh, I want to introduce myself, but before I do that, I just got to tell our loyal listeners, and I always do this, I just thank you, thank you, thank you. I mean, we are 10 years in. And I, I, I cannot thank you enough. Thank you. Our listeners, number of listeners, just keeps climbing, uh, our listeners from all over the world. And I really, really appreciate all of you and those of you who tell you, like I tell people, go tell your family and your friends and your neighbors and your colleagues, tune in off the shelf Saturday mornings at 11 a.m., Eastern Standard Time or New York City time, you will be glad you did. But for those who it's your first time uh, coming to office, you might have just accidentally come over here looking for something to do on a Saturday morning. I want to introduce myself to you. I'm your host, Denise Turney, and like I say, I'm coming to you live from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the city of brotherly love, and I thank you. Thank you, I can't say it enough, for your support. And I encourage you, don't let another day pass before you pick up a copy of my new book, Love Pour Over Me. And you ask yourself, so what am I going to get if I get this book? You're going to get romance and mystery, friendship and high chasing, the kind that keep you flipping those pages. It's the relationships, though, that I think that, that might, not, might only entertain and inspire you, but they might also change you make you look at relationships differently, but you can't get this. This is not a trick, unless you read the story. So I encourage you to get Love Pour Over Me. You can get it online or offline anywhere: Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, Barnes and Noble, the the iTunes ebook book at Walmart, you name it. If you don't see it on the store shelves or the library shelves, just ask the clerk for it, and they can easily order you a special copy. Because Love Pulled Over Me is carried by the largest book distributors in the world. So I hope you go out and get yourself a copy so you can enjoy the wonderful story that is Love pull Over Me. And now, let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. Our special guest today is Doris Dancy. Now, Doris has loved books since she was a little girl. She's an English teacher, a public speaker, musician, wife, and mother. She received a Bachelor of Arts in English from North Carolina Central University and a Master of Arts in English Education from Hampton University. She's also serving as the founder of Pen to Paper Writing Consulting and she is the author of the Redemptive Love series. She's, uh, which the, the first Uh, book in the series, the Redemptive Love series, is Jagged Edges, and I didn't write down her URL, so that's the first thing I'm going to ask her. Uh, Welcome to Off the Shelf, Doris. Doris, did I lose, did I lose Doris? Did I lose her? Welcome to Off the Shelf, Doris. Not sure where she is, Doris. Yes.
1: <laughs> Welcome
0: to off the shelf. Hi. <laughs> I'm, I'm. I'm just like. Oh, did I lose her?
1: Yeah, it. I was oh, just, it just clicked off, and I was gone. You were gone, and I dialed back in.
0: Okay, okay. Well, I want to welcome you, and I just did your introduction, so I'm welcoming you to Off the Shelf. The first question I wanted to ask you was for Off the Shelf listeners, I like to give them the guest website URL so they can go over to your website while they listen to the questions. So could you please give our listeners your website URL?
1: Yes, very easy. It's www.dorishdancy.com. It's my name.
0: Doris H. Dancy.
1: Dancy. D a n c y.
0: And there's an H in there. Yes. Doris H Dancy. D o r s. Listeners. D o r i s. H. D a n c y dot com. So you can go over and check out her wonderful website. Even as you listen to her interview, I, I like for our guests to be able to do that, so they can read any excerpts that are there. They can learn more about the guest bio weather at their website and and more even as they listen to the interview. That's one of the benefits of online radio. So next I wanna ask you, where did you grow up and what was it like for you as a child?
1: I grew up in Raleigh, North Carolina. I had a very happy childhood. Um I lived with my mother and my father, my brother and my grandmother. I went to a Catholic school even though I wasn't a Catholic <laughs> um for eight years. And my mother and father just gave me a lot of different experiences. But one of the things that was most prevalent in my life was language. Uh, My grandmother was a a writer herself, and um, so she used to take me out on the front porch and ask me to listen to her speeches or whatever she was writing. And I didn't know what she was talking about, but it was giving me an opportunity to, to hear good language. And my mother loved poetry and reading stories to me and always wanted um, me to be doing something in little activity books. So um, you'll read on my website that I say I can't think of a time when I wasn't really writing or reading or doing something with language. So wow. now writing has grown up with me as a passion, and it is my passion. I love to write. I love to create characters and that kind of thing. So Raleigh was a, a capital of North Carolina. So it was a big city. There were lots of opportunities with museums and other um, places, the Coliseum, to go to, an auditorium, I think they called it then. Um, just lots of people would come into the area, plays and activities. And then my church was also very important. I was a member of St. Paul AME Church, Raleigh, North Carolina, and they took a lot of time with children and taught you what it meant to be a Methodist. Uh, we had lots of activities. And then on the other side of that, I was going to a Catholic school, so I got to do a lot of activities with them. So the Lord was always foremost in my life. Uh, my, my mother and my grandmother, my father, they were all Christians, and talked to me a lot about my uh, spirituality. And so I grew up loving the Lord as a child. And I, I love him more now because I know more about him.
0: Okay, okay. So you're, what did your grandmother, did she publish any of her work? Was she a magazine or a writer or a journalist? Did she write novels? No, it wasn't
1: like that. She was more of um, an officer in different um, clubs and different, um, like she was an Eastern star. And she was um, a large officer. I don't remember the names of them, but she was also the historian for some organizations. And so she was always writing histories and speeches, and she would make a lot of speeches. And I don't really know what they all were, but um, it wasn't like a published writer. She was just a person who was involved in a lot of activities and was always an officer in those activities. And she always had to do a lot of writing or giving speeches or going different places and things like that. And she'd pull me out on the front porch in the summer, come listen to Grandma's speech. And I would <laughs> listen to it. But it was always teaching me language. And I didn't know a thing about what she was talking about, and she knew I didn't. But, uh, and my father was always insistent on correct um, grammar. And so that made me, you know, he was always talking about, uh, if you said, where's that at? He would tell you it's behind the preposition, get that right. (laughs) 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 So, um, and enunciating words and stuff Mm -hmm. like that, so.
0: Now how is working as an English teacher and the the, the your 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 involvement or transition into english it, it makes perfect sense after you t- talking about your background How is working as an english teacher though how has that helped you to sharpen your writing skills
1: a great deal I taught um when I was teaching I taught twelfth grade advanced placement English for a long time, and so you have these kids who come in um who are articulate um have always made A's but when you actually read their writing you see that it rambles a lot in many cases because they don't for for many children they don't know organization so i had to come up with methods to help teach them organization and i had i had to simplify it so that you know anybody could grasp it if you were if you were AP you could grasp it if you were Um, Special ed, you could grasp it. If you were average, you could grasp it. Anybody, even a small child. So that helped me a lot because I had to look very closely at language to see, let's see how does this language operate. How is it structured? What what makes it easy for somebody to really realize how to organize their writing? So um, whenever you get with people who are extremely articulate, they want to tell you everything. And so I had to help my students understand that in this paper, you're not going to tell me everything that's in your head. You're going to have a main point, and you're going to stick to that main point. And I used to call it the promise, the promise to the reader. And I would Mm -hmm. say, if you get outside of that, you're breaking your promise to the reader. If you promise them that you're going to tell them about how exciting Bush Gardens is, or whatever you're talking about, if you're telling them that Macbeth was the reason for his own demise, then you have to prove that. And you can't go outside of that and ramble. So it helped me um, in that I had to come up with different methodologies for structuring writing so that I could break it down to its finite piece so that anybody could understand it.
0: Okay. Now, before we go and talk about jagged edges, I I wanted to ask you one more question. Are you seeing an impact, and this is going back to you being an English teacher, are you seeing an impact of social media, you know, keeping the, with Twitter, I forget how many characters you're limited to, and then on a lot of these social media sites, there's a lot of uh, acronyms, which isn't a bad thing, but a lot of the writing is very different from traditional uh, writing, are you seeing that in a classroom where social media is having an impact on the depth of the writing that the students are producing?
1: Yes, I see a great impact and I always caution them that you have to Hello. You Hello. I'm
0: here. I'm here.
1: Okay, you have to be able to make the switch. If I'm if I'm writing to a friend of mine and like a, an email or something, then I can write whatever language I want. I can write B and a 4 for before or whatever. But if I'm writing on a test paper for, let's say, a state exam or even for your teacher, you can't write that. You have to write B-E-F-O-R-E for before. You can't change it up. So my my slogan to them is be able to make the switch. And that's not only in writing. It's also in speaking. Um, You don't walk into an interviewer and say, what's up?
0: You know, <laughs>
1: so you have to be able to make the switch and write. And and it's very hard for the uh, uh, for younger students. For example, um, advertisers will write "celebrate" like S A L E a break. You know, and they don't know that "celebrate" really starts with the C. So you have to make sure that they understand in spelling lessons that when you see these ads. They may mm-hmm. do something a little bit differently. Um, Chick-fil-A may spell chicken one way, but we don't spell it that way. Right,
0: right. <laughs> this is right. the correct
1: way to spell it. So it's a fight. It's, it's a challenge because kids get in the habit of writing these um, shorthand-type messages, and it's hard, and they just do it automatically. And that's why I keep it in their minds that they have to be able to make the switch. If you're going to write professionally then you have to do it the correct way, and you can't use social media lingua, lingua.
0: Right, and I ask you that because I've read articles, and I've heard other people say that they see it impacting writing. And, and when you great. And, and, and 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 not just with students, but when you write for the internet, you will hear people, companies who write for the internet, tell you you cannot write the way traditional. Writing it has to keep your sentences short. You almost they tell you, you have to write at the about the fifth grade level, which I think wow, what an impact would that have on readers and writers over maybe a decade? I mean, it's definitely going to have an impact. And ten twenty years from now, we're probably going to see an even greater impact. Just writing for the the web is, is yeah you, they, you have to write down. You cannot write complicated sentences. Got to get rid of those. You have to well, even in short. writing the Jagged Edges, have I to thought about short.
1: that. You know, it, it's it, even when you write a novel, you have to think about that. And you don't want to talk down to an audience, and you still want to have um, academic vocabulary in some places, but you can't put a string of long
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, no.
1: words that nobody quite gets in your sentences. Mm-hmm. So um, when you read Jagged Edges, you'll see it's, the language is very simplistic, but it's powerful, I think.
0: Okay. Now is Jacket Edges your first novel and is um it's it is a part of the Redemptive Love series, correct? Is kicking the series yes. off?
1: Yes. It is the first novel, it is my debut novel I've written. All of my life I've written poetry, I've written plays, but I'd never attempted to write a novel. And when I started this novel, I didn't think it was going to be a novel. I thought it mm-hmm. was going to be a daily devotional guide. <laughs>
0: Oh,
1: (laughs) I thought the Lord was leading me to write this daily devotional guide But every time I would write something, it just wasn't right And I would just throw it away This is no good, this is garbage And I would just throw it away And then um, it wasn't what he was asking me to write He was asking me to write a novel about relationships Because relationships have gotten so out of control in this country That I think that he wants us to kind of show what the devastation is when you are not in a good relationship. Mm. So this is my first novel, and um, I'm just really, really proud of it
0: because God
1: wrote it for me.
0: (laughs) That is so good. Now, what inspired you to write Jagged Edges?
1: Um, Well, like I said, at first I wasn't even thinking of that, but I pray a lot, and I ask God for his guidance, and I ask him to always walk with me in whatever I'm doing. And when I started writing this romance, it started coming so fast, I knew that he was in it. And um, I could see, even as I was placing things like the rock, uh, all of my characters, all of my major characters, at some point go to the rock. Well, the rock is Jesus. And Mm -hmm. each time they go there to sit on this rock, they are in turmoil of some type, and they go there for peace and quietness so that they can regather themselves. And I want the readers to know that when they go and sit out on the ocean and sit out in God's creation, that's what they're doing. They're trying to bring peace to chaos. Um, Mm. And that's their avenue, it's their path that they're making to Christ. So a lot of people didn't get that the rock was Jesus, but the rock is Jesus. When they tell you, I'm going to the rock... Mm-hmm. Yes, they go out and they sit on these actual physical rocks, but in the depth of the the story underneath the surface of the story, the
0: rock is Jesus okay. Now, can you give our off the shelf listeners without giving the story away, but just enough to whet their appetite and make them want to go out and get a copy of your book? Can you give a brief synopsis of jagged edges?
1: Mhm. Jagged edges is about a young man named Derek Chase Wellington the Third, who thought that he had his life set. Derek was born into wealth he he was um he was on Harvard grad he had just gotten his law degree and he was in love with the beautiful and talented Morgan laRue, and he thought that he and morgan would get married they would have children he had in his mind the the um you know the picket fence the dog and the children or mm-hmm, <laughs> that kind of thing but he was betrayed and betrayal turned his life upside down as it turns everyone's life upside down who is betrayed and he lost himself he couldn't really find who he was and he connected with another young lady, Ariana, who was a wonderful person, who had made her mistakes in life. Had, she was like, I've been there, done that, not going to do this again. So she was very clear with the path that she wanted to take in the rest of her life. Well, Derek wasn't. And so because he wasn't and she was, there were some problems that, that end up taking place in their relationship. And also, um, there are some things that happen, some twists and turns in this book that happen that show you that life is very fragile. And you think you're going to go one way and Mm. um,
0: you
1: you end up going another, something else happens. uh, Am I permitted to read any part of the book?
0: You most certainly may.
1: (laughs) I just want to read this short passage.
0: Okay, Um, okay.
1: This is a passage where Derek and his his best friend, his housemate for years um, at Harvard, have um, both graduated. They're, they both have their degrees. They're both um, now taking just a well. Derek is taking a little break, and he has gone to New York uh, from Virginia to see his friend Zach, and they've gone to Atlantic City just for a few days to gamble. And in this passage, they're on their way back from. Atlantic City, and they're mm-hmm. they're just talking about their past life and things. Um, Zach grew up very poor, so he doesn't have the same experiences that Derek had. But now he has worked his way up the ladder of success, and they're just coming back from this wonderful trip where they've had a great time. Okay. And Derek is talking. Derek says, "I reclined my seat, lay my I, I reclined my seat, lay my head back, and let the wind free me from stress." Sadness, loneliness, Morgan, and every other negative thing that has found its way into my body in the last few days. I feel myself sink down into the plushness of this expen- of these expensive seats and allow sleep to take over my aching body. In a short time, we enter the city and run into lots of traffic jams that finally clear. If we hurry, there is still ample time to shower, dress, have dinner, and get to the late comedy shows. I'm awake now. And we're laughing, joking, and just feeling the beauty of the day when I hear a blood-curdling scream coming from the depths of Zach's being. It's a voice totally out of control. Whoa! In a split second, time alters and we are in slow motion. Z is fighting the wheel with every fiber of his being. And while time stops, I see every twist and turn his body makes. Simultaneously, out of the corner of my eye, I see death. A red car has jumped the medium, is airborne Mm. and careening backward like a feather precariously carried on the wind. It is floating toward me, then the crash. I hear the crush of metal, the breaking of glass, and the scream that may have come from me. I feel the sudden power of airbags, the sharp pain everywhere in my body. But in the midst of this chaos, there is an unnatural hush. In the still sounds of silence, there is nothing but blackness.
0: Wow. Very very good. Very good. So, I like your the uh the visual touch to your writing. I can see and the, that's uh, my the,
1: goal.
0: Yeah, the, uh, the I want my writing to be place. like a film.
1: You know, that mm-hmm. like you can just see it like a film.
0: Right. And and I was able to do that as you as you um as you were reading your excerpt, very good excerpt reader as well, I must say. Now you. you you introduced us to Derek and and his friend. You talk briefly about the the woman he was with before. Do you write about her a lot in the story, or is she just you just let the reader know that that's a relationship he had and he just came out of?
1: No, what I do, uh, and I, I I I did this because of my own experiences. I have different points of view. The story is mm-hmm. basically. Derek's story and it's basically okay. told from a man's point of view. But I also okay. tell the story from Morgan's point of view, from Ariana's point of view. So that you can actually see what they're thinking and what they're feeling and how all of these things impact their lives. So, um, I wanted more than one point of view because I've read stories and I've wanted to know well, I wonder how that person really feels that this Mm -hmm. happened. And you can't see it because the narrator can't always tell you every inner part of what somebody is feeling. Right. So I wanted different points of view so that the reader could actually see who who all of these main characters are. They see Morgan, they see Ariana, and they see Derek, and they actually have chapters. Um, where they express themselves and let you know. Like, it's really interesting when you say what makes you want to go out and read. Go out and read what Morgan did and what actually happened and what she, what she told Derek happened. But then when she was alone and thinking back on everything that took place, what really happened.
0: Oh. So, now, can because you, she, can, can she you describe Morgan? Story? Morgan is Derek's former g- girlfriend, right? Yeah.
1: Yes, Morgan it Morgan and Derek grew up together and because okay. they were both rich kids um okay. sometimes um parents kind of pick out and you don't have to be rich. Sometimes parents pick out who they think they they want their child to marry. And so all through their lives they were put together. And okay. it was like um in middle school um Morgan's dad took them uh, to their first little movie together. Uh, drove them to that movie. Um, it was an expectation that Morgan and Derek were going to marry. And that's the key. Did they really love each other? And, and I leave that up to the readers to, dis- to decide if they really loved each other or if they mm-hmm. were a habit for each other. Ah. Because in high school, they felt that they fell in love. And you will see some of the things. Um, there's one um, poem that Morgan wrote to Derek, and he's carried that poem in his pocket, in his wallet ever since they separated from high school for him to go to college and for her to go to dancing school. And he's carried that and loved her and felt that everything was going to be okay.
0: But there Mm -hmm. were
1: clues all along the way that something was wrong with this relationship Mm -hmm. because when he would come to see her, he would drive all the way from from Cambridge to Virginia every other Mm -hmm. week to see her and mm-hmm. in that last year, he wow, kept having a... She <laughs> was like, I'm, I'm really sorry, Derek. I'm not going to be able to see you. Um, I'm sorry oh. you're already here, but um, I have rehearsals, and I can't get out of wow. these rehearsals. And actually, the bottom line was she right. couldn't see him and the other guy at the same well, time.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> and she didn't know how to tell him because, like you said, they're history. She probably didn't yeah. want to hurt his feelings, and she didn't want to make well, herself look bad. She basic. felt
1: that she loved him. And in the book, she does not give up on their relationship. She fights to wow, the end. Isn't that
0: interesting?
1: To get him it's back. Interesting.
0: It's interesting that you would take that angle with this story and then put a woman in those shoes where somebody loves somebody, but they also want a relationship with another person. It's, mm-hmm. it's like, how do you wrap your head around that? but this, to see that take place. Now there's Morgan, there's Derek, and who are some of the other major players in Jagged Edges?
1: Um Ariana, who is um who ends up being Derek's rebound. And he doesn't ever acknowledge that she's a rebound. He tells her, "No, you were never a rebound. I loved you. I I loved you from the beginning." And he and she is the woman of Derek's choice. See, okay. Morgan is the woman of His parents' choice. Right. But Ariana is the woman of Derek's choice. And I don't want to tell you too much about that because I really want you to see that relationship. But Mm -hmm. because she is a rebound, there are problems. And um, he never gets closure with Morgan. And when people don't get closure in a relationship, it it causes huge problems. Mm -hmm. And so you'll see, and like I told you from the beginning, when he was betrayed... It was like he was sucker punched. He had no idea, and I don't want to tell you who Morgan was with because that's key to the story.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Um, but the person she was with really causes two sucker punches.
0: <laughs> well, I'm guessing it's something, somebody they both knew. But you often when, when you hear people say that, and we've said this on other off-the-shelf uh, shows. I didn't know the person was stepping out. I didn't know they were abusive. Mm -hmm. I didn't know fill in the blank. I always think somewhere in the back of our minds, whether it's our subconscious, we do know, but we don't want to admit. We don't want to see, deal with, acknowledge something, so we block it out, and we just say, I didn't know.
1: Mm -hmm. And you're exactly (laughs) right, and you will see that all through this book where Ariana ignores the red flags, and Mm. doesn't want to know. Morgan actually showed up at her wedding in a white dress.
0: Wow. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Because
1: she wasn't giving it up. Wow. And she saw her. And Uh she asked Derek about that woman who was so sad in a white dress, but he... He just, you know, sloughed it off. And see, whenever there is betrayal, and betrayal comes in so many different forms, and you'll see these different forms in this book. Yes, you can actually um, get with somebody, go to bed with them, and that's betrayal. But betrayal is also a bunch of lies or a bunch of omissions. You Mm -hmm. know, when you omit telling me what the real deal is, that's also betrayal. So you see betrayal in so many different ways. And the reason I wanted to write this book is because, like I said, I'm, I'm a, um, I am a spiritual person, and I want people mm-hmm. to understand the devastation of betrayal and how you have to take yourself so far down in order to betray somebody. Mm. You can't be with God and betray That's the the important lesson that I want people to say. See, and also that when you betray somebody, you can never bring that relationship back to its original state.
0: Mm -hmm. It's like breaking a
1: glass. You break glass three big pieces and you say, I'm going to glue this glass back together because I really like it. But the flaws are there.
0: You can never bring
1: it back to its original state. And so when you make the decision to betray somebody, you need to think long and hard about the consequences of that act.
0: Yeah, the relationship, like you said, as you knew it, is is over. It might it might go on in time, but it the, the, it might only be existing in time. Do you do you um, having some of your recent comments that you just shared makes me want to ask you: Is this based on anything that you've experienced? No. <laughs> Oh, okay, <laughs> no. okay. In fact, okay. The one
1: um, one of the interviewers said, "What is something funny that you could tell our our listeners that um, they don't know about you?" And I said that I'm writing about betrayal, and as far as I know, I haven't been betrayed. <laughs> oh,
0: okay. <laughs> but I okay. have
1: seen a lot of betrayal, and I have seen the devastation of a lot of betrayal. No, I am married to a wonderful man who um, I, we we've been married for years, and we love each other very much, and. When you see one, you basically see the other. So no, but I know. meant
0: like even in before you got married, those times. But that's good no. if you've never even when you were your years before, prior to marriage when you were dating the somebody best, else. The best or... I
1: could tell you was this boy that I dated one time when I was about well, I guess I was fifteen, and I thought he was going to take me to this dance. Mm-hmm. And he told me his grandmother died, and I didn't know that old trick, you <laughs> know.
0: Oh yeah. His
1: grandmother died, so he couldn't take me. So that's about the closest I've gotten to that.
0: <laughs> it's amazing the stories people will come up with rather than yes. just tell the truth. <laughs> rather than the, what is it about the truth that scares us so much? I don't um, know. I don't know. Yeah, I wanted to ask you next. Where is Jagged Edges? Where is the story set, and what time period does the story take place in?
1: The story is set in Virginia and in New York. Okay. And um, they go back and forth. Zach lives in in New York in New York. Derek um Derek and Ariana meet in New York. But they both are moving to Virginia. So most of the story is set in Virginia. Um and on the water. They are very rich people. Um I wanted rich black people. I read a lot about poor black people. I wanted rich black people. <laughs> okay. So my 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 people are rich. They're educated. Uh, they have the world at their feet. But I also wanted you to see, even when you have money, you have problems. Yeah. Um These people are very educated, very talented. Morgan is a is a gorgeous dancer. She is the lead dancer for her company. Um, Derek is a lawyer He's um, a defense attorney Uh, Ariana is a fashionista And she owns her own uh, Fashion house in Virginia In the state In the area In the Tidewater area So I wrote about the Tidewater area Where I live So that I would know What I'm talking about There are a lot of um, Wonderful restaurants And things like that Around And I wrote about those And you know, different places. And I do a a lot of describing um, wherever they are and whatever they're doing. Because like I said, I want the readers to look at my book as a film, almost like a film in words.
0: Okay, okay. Uh, What I wanted to ask you next is, what have readers been saying about Jagged Edges?
1: Oh, I have gotten some of the greatest compliments. Um, Oh, wow. They say it's a page turner. They couldn't put it down. Um, they didn't want it to end. Um, they loved the description. They fell in love with Derek. Some people. Um, I was at a book club meeting last night with a, a group called the Bookies of Williamsburg, and there was mm-hmm. one lady there who said I didn't like Derek, and I know why she didn't like Derek. She didn't like him because he wouldn't tell he wouldn't tell Ariana about Morgan. He tried to hide all of that past when he couldn't mm-hmm. hide it because it was still, um, it was still going on. And so, but the the reason um, most women do love Derek is because Derek is a is a I'm going to say a hopeful romantic. He um, he when you go out with Derek, you have been taken out. You get the limousine you get the roses, you get the candlelight, you get the music, the dancing, um the he's dressed to the nines. Um he takes you to the most elaborate places when you go out with Derek. You've been out.
0: <laughs> okay. And he's
1: he's a fun guy. He he mm-hmm. ha, he just likes to have a lot of fun. And he has this other <clears throat> part of his life going on with Morgan, but he's trying to break away from her because he knows that he does. He is falling in love with Ariana, Mm -hmm. and Ariana is a no-sense kind of woman. She's like, okay, I need to, I want the fairy tale. I I want, I've been through the negative. I don't want to go back there again. If you try to take me there, I'm out. You know?
0: Okay. She is. Okay. now, 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 this is what I find interesting. Did you, when you started writing Jagged Edges, did you know it would be part of a series, number one? And if so, how did you purposely, purposefully leave the story open so it would work into a second book in the series?
1: I did know because I was saying it's a redemptive love series, and I want my characters to be redeemed so that they know Christ even though they go through all these tragedies, I Mm -hmm. knew that Zach, uh, Zachary Belford, my bad boy in Jagged Edges, would need to be redeemed because he is very bad in Jagged Edges. So in the next book, the one that I'm writing now, you Mm -hmm. see why Zach never learned to love, and I'm trying to bring him to a place where he finds love and he doesn't know anything about God and um, some devastating things have happened in his life and I will just tell you that um, I'll tell you this little part about the second book he um, a, a devastating thing has happened and his grandmother has come there to take care of him and his brothers mm-hmm. and he's she's um, his grandma he doesn't know his grandmother and this is the first day that she's there and um, she's sitting in, this, in, her, in his father's lounge chair and facing the TV, but the TV isn't on. And Zach peeps in the door, and he's only seven years old when this happens. And he peeps in the door, and he sees his grandmother, and she sees him, and she says, Come, come here, baby. Come sit with Grandma. And he doesn't move. And he starts to move, go away because he's not mm-hmm. sure. And she says, mm-hmm. No, Zachary, come here. Come sit with Grandma. Mm -hmm. And so he comes in and she puts him in her lap and she starts talking to him about, um, don't be afraid. I know you're afraid. I know that, you know, everything here is, is disturbing you. But always remember the rock. And that's what she uses, talking about mm-hmm. Jesus. But Zach, does right. seven years old, he doesn't know she's saying that. Mm-hmm. She's saying, always remember the rock. It, the rock will, he will always protect you. He will guide you. He will cover you when you're, when you're scared. And she sings him this song. And uh, up until her death, she would sing this song to him. And he, that happened when he was seven. At 12, she died.
0: Oh. And he looked
1: all over the house. For his grandma's rock, because he mm. didn't want her to leave that rock out of her casket. He she, he said she loved her rock so much. I wanted to make sure that it was with her, and she could take it with her. So he mm-hmm. couldn't find the rock, and he um, he goes to her gravesite, and he's trying to sing the song that she sang to him all the time, but he can't remember the words,
0: and mm-hmm. all he can
1: remember is the solid rock I stand,
0: and uh. he's telling.
1: He's telling this to somebody else in the book. And he says, I sat at her grave and I just kept repeating, the solid rock I stand. So the person he's talking to says, on Christ. He said, that's it, on Christ, the (laughs) solid rock I stand. And she said, all other ground is sinking sand. So I'm trying to bring Zach into a place where he's actually introduced to Jesus, and she says to him, did your grandmother ever talk about Jesus? He said, yeah, but she always talked more about the rock because okay. he never connected. He didn't know to connect the rock with Jesus. So this right. is his first lesson with this okay. person
0: know Now, how long did it take you to, to actually write? Jagged edges. How long is the book? How many pages? How long did it take you to to write it? And what process, Doris, did you use to create it? Did you use the outline? Did you rely a lot on character sketches? What process did you use to create the book?
1: Okay, the book is um three hundred and sixty one
0: pages. Wow.
1: And um I, I, the way I write is I think first. Mhm. I really think. And when I got the beginning, the middle, and the end, I would just sketch out ideas of what that was going to happen. It's like if you were going to take a trip from here to New York. You have to have a map. So that was my map. This is what I want to happen in the beginning. This is what I want to happen in the middle. This is what I want mm-hmm. to happen in the end. Now, to fill in, as I write I'm constantly thinking, and one of the things I tell writers is that writing is not always sitting down scripting. It's not always at your computer typing. Sometimes writing is going to the mall and just hearing people in their conversations or uh, watching what people do or watching something on TV. Um, you can't. You get ideas, oh, I want my character to to be on a boat, or I want my character to do this or that. So then, when you get those ideas, that kind of fills in your um, your details, and you can start filling in from your beginning, your middle, and your end. So I think a lot and just kind of design what I want to happen, but I know from the beginning I have a little outline at the beginning of what I want to happen at the beginning, middle, and end, and then I just kind of begin to fill in the details of how I want. To to weave the characters in, I, I I do a lot with character sketching because I okay. don't want them to get outside of their character. Mm-hmm. So with Derek, I I really knew Derek before I ever wrote anything about Derek. I had to in my mind and on, and on my sketching pad, I had to just say what kind of guy he is. And the same thing with all um, four of my major characters. I sketch okay. them out so I know who they are.
0: Now, now, when can our off-the-shelf listeners, when can they expect to see the next book in the Redemptive Love series come out? Well, I have
1: told my publisher
0: that it's going to be July. I
1: told him okay. that.
0: Okay. Okay, <laughs> July. Okay. So next, middle of next year. Yes. Mm-hmm. that's so that, that's not that much that much longer. Do you have a, have a title for that book? I don't
1: have a title yet. No. Okay. Because I, okay. I think a long time about titles, too. When I came up with Jagged Edges, I was just thinking about what does a broken heart look like? What does a betrayed uh, heart look like? It has jagged edges. It's no longer smooth
0: because mm, it has so many cuts in it. Wow. So many tears. I, now, I want to ask you, going back to your English degree, um, do, would you recommend that writers, for our listeners here who would like to become what you now are, a published writer, would you recommend that they take a a post-secondary college or university writing course?
1: I would recommend that, and I would also recommend a grammar course because Uh. a grammar course teaches you how to manipulate language, how to, um, you don't want all of your sentences starting the same way, um, mm-hmm. And you want to stay. A lot of prob- a lot of times, people have problems staying in the same tense. For example, I wrote my novel in the present tense. Most of novels are written in the in the past tense, like it has already mm-hmm. happened. But I wanted my novel to be present, so staying in a tense is is kind of tricky sometimes. Um, and and like I said, manipulating the language so that you can have different types of sentence structures. Um, maybe starting one sentence with, a, I'll just say, prepositional phrase or adverbial clause. You know, just how mm-hmm. are going to, you don't want all of your sentences to be subject verb subject verb subject verb. It gets very boring. Right. So right. when you learn grammar, I always say grammar is an English person's calculus because it can mm. get quite intricate. So you need to really understand grammar um, so that you don't have a lot of subject verb problems, um, which are very easy to do if you don't always know how to find the exact subject or if you don't know what's singular and what's plural. Like a lot of professional people I hear um, say each of us have. That's wrong. It's each of us has because each is singular. Right. So, you know, things like that
0: Mm -hmm. impact
1: your writing.
0: And that's where also, Go go ahead. Go ahead.
1: I was just going to say if I'm reading something and I see a lot of verb errors or you know the sentence doesn't quite it's not a sentence it doesn't quite make sense, then that interferes
0: with my comprehension mhm so. that, that's also the importance of uh working with an editor <laughs> mhm <laughs> that's, that's another reason why it's good to work with an editor before you publish a book. when did you found pen to paper writing consulting?
1: When I um I was the supervisor of English for Hampton City Schools for about fifteen, sixteen years and mm-hmm. when I decided to retire from that job I wasn't mm-hmm. really ready to just stop working. And so I um uh have a very good friend, Deborah Farley, who works in um small business um um I don't know her title and all that but she's director of small business something. And um she kept encouraging me to take a course in business because she mm-hmm. said if you really want to start a business you need a business plan. Well, I hadn't even thought about a business plan so right there she already had me with that. <laughs> so <laughs> I took that course. <laughs> I took that course and I um I really learned a lot. And mm. I started my own business um editing and consulting and I was going all over the state of Virginia. Helping teachers teach students how to write. Ah. And I was also editing um, for people who were writing books. Mm -hmm. Um, And then um, this past year, I just decided I didn't want to keep traveling all over the state. I didn't really want to keep doing a lot of editing for others. I wanted to write myself. Okay. So my husband and I sat down and just decided, okay, you want to take a different direction. And he's mm-hmm. always very supportive of me. So I would say with Deborah's help, I learned, you know, how to run a business pretty effectively, I think. And even this book is under my business. So oh, okay. that was how I got started with that.
0: Now, can you tell our listeners, what some, what are some of the services other than the editing the, 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 do you do line editing? Do you do maybe the, the, the structural? What are some of the services that you offer? Uh, and are you still working with schools through pen to paper writing? So I know you said you cut back on the traveling, but if, you still have the, if the service is still out there and our listeners are interested, what are some of the services that you still offer?
1: I, um, I still offer helping teachers um, learn an effective way to teach writing. Um, actually, to help them understand organization and how to teach organization, um, uh, some of some teachers um, require writing without giving enough instruction for the writing if they If you say "Go home and write a paper and bring it back to me and then I grade it that 's requiring writing. but instructing writing is actually telling students this is a strategy for how you write an introduction on. This is a strategy for writing an essay. So I teach that. I teach teachers how to help students with strategic writing. And I also um, edit books. Um, And when you say, do I do line editing? I kind of do it all. I look at, if I don't understand what you're saying, I -hmm. will tell you that. Uh, this, this, This passage is Confusing, and one of the reasons it's confusing is because of this, this, or this. Maybe you have too many characters, or whatever the case might be. But I also look at it line by line to see, you know, if it's correctly written and what what is your purpose. You know, you can you can say something incorrectly, but it has to be purposefully done. So right. I Do a right. little bit
0: of all of that. So, and are you still teaching? I'm just curious. No, no, Are you still no. teaching English? Uh
1: uh-uh. See, I stopped teaching in nineteen I think it was nineteen ninety two. I went to the oh. central office and became the supervisor of English. First okay. I was a teacher specialist. A teacher uh, specialist kinda goes around and helps other teachers okay. um, in English. And then I became the supervisor of English, which in Hampton is called curriculum leader. And okay. uh, so I led the curriculum for K through twelve. So I had I had English and reading K through twelve. For quite a few years, um, and that that has multiple tasks. With I mean, you're dealing with ordering books and finding the right programs, and mm-hmm. um, the budget, and um, designing a curriculum, and doing a multiplicity
0: of things. You know and what? That, do, uh, that, that, go, go ahead.
1: That wears on you. <laughs> yeah. After so many years.
0: Right. That you, what you just said made me think of another question. I try to give our listeners as many tips that they can take away for their careers or whatever their dreams or aspirations are, as possible when they tune into off the shelf. So I wanted to ask you. You said you select part of your job was selecting books. Can you offer any tips or advice to writers who want to get their books in schools? It
1: you have to study. their their guidelines, their standards. You have to know a school system's standards because that's what they test their kids on. In the state of Virginia, it's called standards of learning. Mm -hmm. So you have to know what skills those students have to know in order to pass the standardized tests. Mm -hmm. So you have to have things in your book that will... Help them be able to learn those skills. So, okay. So before you can say you put your book in a school, you have to know what what their standards are. What do they require of their students? So okay. And the standards are there. Are, there are standards for every subject area. So if your book is something that teaches um um social studies or whatever, you know. Hmm. Then you want to look at the social studies standards. If it's something that teaches um, English skills, like how to structure um, different um, sentences or how to maintain a, um, a a certain tense or whatever, you have to be you have to know what it is they are going to require of their students. And I will tell you, it's very difficult to get books in schools unless they're textbooks because okay. the standards are so. This. Now I tell okay. you, one avenue might be, let's say your your book is about bullies, okay. and you actually are going to teach kids how to to um, handle themselves when they are faced with bullies. Okay. That is a book that you might could get into school because that's something that they're working with, trying to help their students um, deal with. You know, and but like but,
0: but okay, so once the book meets the standards. Who would the writer contact to, at the school to to get the?
1: Well, you could try- you could go to a superintendent, or you could go to an assistant superintendent, and they might move it down to if they really think this is a serious thing that they really think this might be something we could use. They will probably filter it down to the the supervisor of that area, and say take a look at this. Um, mainly. <clears throat> it's the big companies that get into school stuff. Yeah. I, uh, I would like imagine. the Yeah. Right. Like the Hardcourt Mifflin's and you know, people mm-hmm. like that. Um, that work with textbooks. They are the mm-hmm. ones. And now everything is kind of moving into technology. So if you can get something done on in technology, that might be an avenue.
0: Right. But it's
1: not easy to break into a because they are going to be very serious about what they are going, what they what they're requiring. The state sets up the standards, and they have to meet those standards. And so, if your book doesn't help them, they're not going to bother with it. But if it does, let's say, for example, you write a a writing program,
0: mm-hmm. okay?
1: So now that's going to teach our kids how to write. Now they're going to look at that or okay. stories. Um, stories that they might read that will teach certain skills that they mm-hmm. want their kids to know. But the first thing you need to do is look at the standards of a different st- of different states or so whatever state you want to write for, mm-hmm. because the standards might be a little different. What okay. their emphasis is might be a little different.
0: Where can our? We got about six minutes left. I definitely want to ask you: Where can off-the-shelf listeners get copies of Jagged Edge?
1: They can go to Amazon.com, and um, you can get it on your Kindle, or you can buy the actual book.
0: Okay, so it's in print and in an e-book form. Amazon.com. Hmm? It's in print and ebook form. Yes. Yes. Okay. Now, if you're on any social network—Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn—can you give us some of the networks and how our, how our listeners can find you online?
1: Yes, they can find me. Um, at um, www.dorishdancy.com, They can also find me um, on email, um, and that's d, as in dog, Dancy. dot, pen, P-E-N, the number two, paper, P-A-P-E-R, at yahoo.com. And if they want it, if they want to order a book from me, they can order it at P.O. Box Seven Five Six, Yorktown, Virginia Two
0: Three
1: Six Nine Two.
0: Okay. Okay. And you said you're on Facebook.
1: Yes, I'm on Facebook.
0: Okay, and that's that's the only social media network where you, you right now where you're on.
1: I'm also on Goodreads.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. So people can go over there and and connect with you. Now, we only have a few minutes left. I wanted to ask you very, very, very quickly, besides being on Facebook and Goodreads, what other steps have you found to be effective at getting the word out about your book? That's the biggest thing. Getting it
1: discovered. Um, my church has been awesome in helping me, um promoting it. Um, my pastor Reverend Donald F. White at Saint Paul the Church. He has mm-hmm. been so supportive of me. So that is
0: Um
1: I was invited, uh, by my niece to um Atlanta well, it's not Atlanta, Georgia, it's Sugar Hill. Uh, Georgia, which is right outside of Atlanta, to speak at Popular Hill Baptist Church about my bigger issue, which is to help young ladies learn to know their worth and not just fall for infatuation and give up everything. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I think it's doing what I'm doing right now, being on a show like yours. I've been mm-hmm. on Cyrus Webb's show um, and a couple of other um, um blog, radio, talk shows, Um, and just being confident about your book and talking to people about it and helping them see that a bigger issue is behind it. I I have a bigger issue behind my book, like I Mm -hmm. said, to help uh, people see what betrayal does and to help young ladies and young men let the young ladies know that they don't have to jump in bed with somebody and let the young men know they don't have to always ask because you're giving up sometimes your hopes and your dreams for one mm-hmm. little moment of something that really is not going to matter a hill of beans later.
0: That's so, true.
1: That's, <laughs> that's true. You tell so, them, So um, yeah, I'm trying hard to get that message across through Jagged Edges and pointing out to them, you know, how Ariana was able to say no to a handsome, educated, rich man.
0: Wow. Well, and we still maintain
1: you- that friendship.
0: That's wonderful, and we thank you for being here with us on Off the Shelf, and for getting that message out in Jagged Edges. We've been talking to Doris Dancy, a former English teacher, and 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 the and the author of the Redemptive Love book series, the first book, Jagged Edges. She said she would like to have her second book in the series out. July of next year, which is which is only about seven months away because we're now coming down the home stretch for two thousand and thirteen. We thank Doris for being here with us. I wanna give our listeners her website address again and it is Doris D O R I S H D a n c y again Doris H Dancy D o r i s h D a n c y dot com so you can go over there and you can order her books she gave the information I know we get a lot of listeners who tune in through the archives and I mean we get a ton so you can go in and listen to what she gave you know she's on Facebook she's on Goodreads and she gave the address if you want to order the book directly through her but it's also on Amazon in print and ebook so you have those two options available to you. We want to thank Doris for taking time out of her day to give us a wonderful interview, and we thank our listeners here for being with us today. Please come back next Saturday again. Tell all your family, your friends, your neighbors, your colleagues, Tune in Off the Shelf Saturday mornings, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or New York City time. And as I always tell you, you are incredibly amazing. You are fabulous. You are awesome. Go out and create a wonderful day for yourself. See you back next Saturday. Bye for now. Doris, I'll shoot you an email. Okay, thank you.